Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast. I'm Richard Lanford. I'm the Red-Headed Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois, at the corner of Oakton and Laramie. The uh, Sunday that this sermon is preached on is Sunday, February 20th, 2022. So it's 2-20-2022. Um, and the message is called, Let Us Be Children of the Most High. And that comes in at the end, but it's based on everything that uh, comes before. You'll hear a Karen Christensen read the scriptures, Psalm 37, selected verses, 1 Corinthians 15, also selected verses near the end of the chapter. But I'm, what I'm preaching on is Luke 6, verses 27 to 38, focusing on Christ's teaching to love your enemies. And uh, I hope you will find this challenging and intriguing, as I did, to write it and to preach it. So before we go any further, I invite you, as I so often do, to join me in the spirit of prayer. Mysterious and loving God, We pause before listening further to ask your blessing on this time of listening and thinking about what we hear. May the scriptures we hear read speak to us. May the message we hear about loving our enemies make us spiritually deeper and stronger and bring us closer into the image of Christ. For we are here and we're listening to this for you. In his name we pray, amen. And now here we go with Karen reading, beginning with Psalm 37. Our first passage is Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11, and then the closing verses, 39 and 40. This psalm falls into the category of a wisdom psalm, and is attributed to David. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light, and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over their those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil, for the wicked shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look diligently for their place, they will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their refuge 
in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and rescues them. He rescues them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. That ends the reading from Psalm 137. Our epistle reading is one we typically hear on Easter Sunday or during Eastertide. But it's not, it is not in the readings for the Sundays after Easter this year. And it is so important we are including it today as the lectionary has it. It is 1 Corinthians 15 verses 35 through 38 and verses 43 42 through 50. Paul is answering questions about resurrection. He writes, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed his own body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. This ends the reading from 1 Corinthians 15. Ah, what an angry and vindictive and hostile country you and I see on the news. If one were to do some online research using, using examples of loving your enemy as the search phrase, you would not find all that many to choose from. Plenty of sermons on it, though. I've, I did that during my sermon prep, and there's several sermons, but not so many. And here's, here are some examples. Loving our enemies is not something a lot of us are super good at right now. We do appear to be a house divided on a number of hot-button controversies. Vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers, maskers and anti-maskers, mandates or not mandates, and of course, those who believe the 2020 election was stolen 
versus those who trust the results and the courts that upheld them. And there are more examples. And let's not forget those who seem to deliberately try to rile us up. Perhaps persons at work we do not get along with at all, or persons in our neighborhood, or in church. There, and then there is the guy who lets his dog bark at all hours of the night, the colleague who seems to argue with you at every staff meeting, and yet has no qualms taking credit uh, for work you did, someone who bullies your kid or niece. They're not likable, and we'd have real trouble loving them. But would you or I really attack them, take a baseball bat to their knees or something, pray for their death, start untrue gossip about them to get some revenge? Are they truly our enemies? Well, Jesus would hope not. When he taught love your enemies, he was not allowing for his followers to be hating someone or making enemies, but to love those who try to hurt us, his followers. He explained that right away, but it's, it's not always picked up that way. When he continued right after that, saying, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. One of my sermon resources said, Note that Jesus says, Pray for those who abuse you, not stay with those who abuse you. In his inimitable book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, In the New Testament, our enemies are those who harbor hostility against us, not those against whom we cherish hostility, for Jesus refuses to reckon with such a possibility. His behavior, meaning the disciples' behavior, must be determined not by the way others treat him or her, but by the treatment he himself receives from Jesus. By our enemies, Jesus means those who are quite intractable and utterly unresponsive to our love, who forgive us nothing when we forgive all, who requite our love with hatred and our service with derision. Love asks nothing in return, but seeks those who need it. And this is readily understandable when we remember that the first hearers and readers of these words were the disciples and then the early church who faced persecution on and off for three centuries. Such words also had a tremendous influence, as we know, on the nonviolent movements, especially those in our country, uh, the civil rights movement led by people like King and Abernathy and Diane Nash and Andrew Young, John Lewis et al. They did have enemies, including in Chicago. Perhaps because there was so much animosity pointed at this nonviolent movement, that's why King preached and spoke a good deal on this teaching of Jesus. I remember reading one of his sermons on loving your enemies. He gave some practical advice, and that was when we cherished animosity. He said, and it included, what I remember included, remembering that the persons hatefully arrayed against them, well, that was not all of who they were. He preached that those bigots were also fathers, and maybe good fathers. 
They were business persons and maybe honest ones. They might be taking care of their ailing, aging parents, and so on. We even saw that played out if you ever saw the movie Crash. The enemies were not always what the movement saw. There were redeeming qualities in some of their lives, too, he said, if we can allow for that. As human beings, they also were made in the image of God, and that can be one of the starting points for stopping anger within those who want to be angry at those who were enemies of the movement and starting to love the enemy, regardless of how they acted. And a word about our words. I double-checked the Greek, and sure enough, the word for love here is agape. There are other Greek words, but this one is agape, or agapein. The love that seeks the good of the beloved regardless of the cost is one way that I often describe it. Self-denying love, if necessary, which may or may not engage our feelings. The emphasis is on deeds and actions for their welfare. William Barclay described it, the love towards our enemies is not only something of the heart, it is something of the will. It is something which, by the grace of Christ, we may will ourselves to do. And George Caird said, agape is a gracious, determined, and active interest in the true welfare of others, which is not deterred even by hatred, cursing and abuse not limited by calculations of deserts or results based solely on the nature of god duty he said is not enough duty obeys the rules but love grasps opportunities and so martin luther king jr could say as he did i have decided to stick with love Hate is too great a burden to bear. He's also well known for another elaboration on Jesus' teaching, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. At another turn, also with a long arc and long game in mind, in a sermon in Montgomery, Alabama, he preached this, Far from being an impractical idealist, Jesus has become the practical realist. The words of this text glitter in our eyes with a new urgency. Far from being the pious injunction of a utopian dreamer, this command is an absolute necessity for the survival of our civilization. Yes, it is love that will save our world and our civilization, love even for enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Do to others what you would have them do to you. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the children of the Most High, for he is kind and kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Wow. And it occurred to me that, yes, you and I and the church need to remember, although I've quoted all of these other scholars and preachers, who is talking to us with this? Jesus. 
Jesus is talking to us. Earlier I quoted Bonhoeffer, who spoke of the Christian, his behavior must be determined not by the way others treat him, but by the treatment he himself receives from Jesus. Jesus, the one who teaches this not only in his word, but also in his life and death. He is the source of this unique direction and the source who makes it possible for you and me to follow it. Now we know how the enemies of Jesus treated him while he walked the earth. How they felt threatened by his power, his popularity, caring for people in need, preaching repentance to those who needed to hear and do that, and his reinterpretation of some of the Sabbath laws and healing. We know, too, how the empire treated him, ultimately sentencing him to death, the death of a slave and a criminal. He was stripped of flesh by his flogging and stripped of his few clothes before being nailed to the cross. As a seminary hallmate once said, Jesus was on the cross naked as a jaybird. Now the soldiers cast lots for his clothing because they were going to take it. He endured this for them and for us. And this powerful truth helps you and me in our attempts to love those who really do not love us. He did it. And with his love in us by grace, we can be empowered to do likewise. To quote Bonhoeffer again, he said some things that challenge and intrigue me about this loving of our enemies and doing good to those who persecute us. If I think about this long enough, I will come back to this. In the cost of discipleship, he wrote that we, that we look at how Jesus treated and loved those who hated him. Quote, the love for our enemies takes us along the way of the cross and into fellowship with the crucified. The more we are driven along this road, the more certain is the victory of love over the enemy's hatred. For then it is not the disciples' own love, but the love of Jesus Christ alone who, for the sake of his enemies, went to the cross and prayed for them as he hung there. In the face of the cross, the disciples realized that they too were his enemies and that he had overcome them by his love. It is this, Bonhoeffer says, that opens the disciples' eyes and enables them to see his enemy as a brother. Continuing, he said, the disciple can now perceive even his enemy as the object of God's love, and that he stands, like himself, beneath the cross of Christ. God's love sought out his enemies who needed it and whom he deemed worthy of it. God loved his enemies, or loves, plural sense, I mean uh, present tense. God loves his enemies. That is the glory of his love, as every follower of Jesus knows. Through Jesus, he has become a partaker in this love. We and those who take pleasure, those who take pleasure in mocking us or making life harder for us, who threaten and discourage us and delight in pushing all our buttons, they're all equal before and beneath the cross. They're equal with us in that way. 
This is part of what John 3, 16 and 17 means. If Jesus died for them out of divine love and for us out of the same love, it is easier to then see them as some kind of equal, even as they do not. It is easier to take God's love to them as it already came to us and to them, if they know it or not, and do good to them, pray for them and bless them without being full of warm, naive fuzzies. Seeing them as no better or worse than us before the cross can help. It helps me remember. It draws us closer to God, too. It draws us closer to God who makes it possible for us to follow the seemingly impossible and impractical teaching. In addition to finding it easier to be kind to them despite their attitude and actions towards you or me, it also brings us back to suffering, if suffering is what happens. Jesus suffered despite his grace and truth extended and offered to his adversaries, just as the early church and Christians today suffer for their faith in certain parts of the world. He suffered in his love, so may you or I. And when you and I are seen doing something to bless our problem people or to return their curse with our blessing upon them, that can result in more scorn or worse. And in those cases, we are drawn closer to the suffering Christ ourselves. Bonhoeffer even wrote later and elsewhere that it is when we drink the cup of earthly suffering to the dregs, there we come to really know the crucified Christ in his suffering. Loving our enemies, even if it incurs suffering of some kind, draws us closer to the living Christ who suffered out of love for us and our nemeses, or those who would make themselves our nemeses. And what then do you think experiences like that bring to us? Closer to Jesus, yes, even if we do not feel it. If such experiences happen to a church, as a church, that congregation, I believe, will become spiritually deeper, more empathetic, more Christ-centered and Christ-like while serving all whom they can. It also gives us a new biblical identity, which gives rise to the sermon title and pretty much an end to the sermon. Luke and Jesus again, do to others what you would have them do to you. But love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. For God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and you will be called. It's passive, it means you will be called by God. Children of the Most High, daughters and sons of the Most High, chips off the old block, like mother, like daughter, like father, like son, the apple not falling far from the tree, connected in a deep, connected sense that stands even the tests of suffering if that happens. It's an identity. William Barclay said quite succinctly, God's love embraces saint and sinner alike. 
It is that love we must copy. If we too seek even our enemy's highest good, we will in truth be the children of God. Are you ready for it? Are we there yet? No one says this develops quickly within us, so it takes patience. Love is patient, Paul says. No one says this is easy. Those who would follow Jesus must take up their cross and follow him, Jesus said. With God, all things are possible. Jesus also said that. And it is the teaching of the one who himself did this and enables us to do it also to God's glory. Let us then be children of the Most High by the grace of God. Amen. This is the Red-Headed Preacher again, thanking you now for tuning in to this edition of the podcast for February 20th. I hope that the sermon on loving your enemies and becoming children of the Most High is uh, is one that you were glad that you listened to. I hope it builds you up in your faith and your practice as it has mine in preparing and preaching it. Until then, next Sunday is Transfiguration Sunday, so we'll see what the red head comes up with under the guidance of the Holy Spirit for that one. Hope you'll tune in then. And once again, God bless you, and may God bless your week. Amen.